we needed to crunch data and we needed to be able to give data to the people who were asking. Whether it was about our market, whether it was about our sales, whether it was about our competitor, we had data everywhere in every spreadsheet possible in a company. So the number one goal was to centralize everything and try to understand what do we have? Okay, what do we know about the competition? What do we know about our target market? What do we know about our customer, right? How long is our sales cycle? When did you create this op? So how long can we expect this op to be to take to to go to the end? And so for that, we needed the technical stack at first, and that's what we built first. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Giles Myers, who is the VP of Revenue Operations at Lumaps. Giles, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. So I want to kick off by understanding um, the, the first point at which you moved into, and I think it was Sales Ops, around six years ago. Why did you make that shift from what I believe was a, a more sales-focused role before? Yeah. Um, so it, it was based on the need of, uh, of, of basically our investor at, at Lumaps. Um, when we did uh, the, when we prepared for the Series B and we headed towards Series C, the investor said uh, to the board and to, to the exec, you guys need to invest in revenue operation. You need to have a team and the tools that are well equipped to be at par with the market so we can compare correctly, we can have data, we can crunch data that is consistent over time so we can value the company better, we can understand better the metrics and we can understand better where to invest. And so that's at that point that the, that the exec team called me and say, look, um, you've been doing a great job. I was doing some job on... Uh, on my territory and like trying to map it, trying to understand it, that we want you to take this new business unit to the next level. Uh, and that's when we, we started to create the team. And we went from the first need to like expand over time the scope of what revenue ops means. So we first started with the tools and we did the processes and, uh, and now we're going more towards enablement. Awesome. So it'd be great to learn a bit more about that journey that you've gone through through the world of sales slash RevOps. Why did you go in that order um, through the initial things up to enablement now? Why did why did you take that approach? Yeah, we could have gone the other way. The reason was 
we needed to to crunch data and we needed to be able to give give data to the people who were asking. Um, whether it was about our market, whether it was about our sales, whether it was about our competitor, um, we had data everywhere in every spreadsheet possible in a company. Uh, we're using Google Docs and there was a limited amount of spreadsheets. So the number one goal was to centralize everything and try to understand what do we have? Okay, what do we know about the competition? What do we know about our target market? What do we know about our customer, right? How long is our sales cycle? Um, when did you create this op? So how long can we expect this op to be to take to, to go to the end? And so for that, we needed the technical stack at first, and that's what we built first. Makes total sense. Could you just give the um, audience a better sense of the size of the sales team, but then also the size of your revenue operations function? Yeah, right now we have uh, 25 sales around 10 CSM and around 10 BDO. And then how many people in the RevOps, in your RevOps team? In the RevOps today, uh, we have uh, five expanding to seven because we're going now to the enablement section. Got it. And what if the breakdown of those five people? Do they all like, e.g., do we have someone just focused on marketing or do we have just someone focused on like tech stack? Yeah, so we have two people uh, on tech stack. We have uh, two people on marketing, one more uh, generalist uh, um, business analyst uh, who's doing a lot of data with me, and uh, one on the enablement. Cool. And so then apart from obviously going from like spreadsheets to more like organized uh, view of the sales function, what do you think is the most effective thing that you and the team have done over the past like one to two years? To, to make the revenue operation more effective? I think there's two things, right? Uh, number one is standardizing the sales process. And, uh, and and there's always work to be done there, right? There is always continuous enablement to be done to make sure that an opportunity in a certain state. We operate in like five countries uh, and a lot of them in Europe. So we need to make sure that... a an, an opportunity state three means the same thing in different countries, different culture, different language. And so that is one of the main things that, that we did is trying to standardize all of uh, what an opportunity means and what stage it is and how much is the actual value of this opportunity. I think the second thing would be definitely for our customer base. Uh, when you go beyond uh, a hundred, and you start to have a large CSM team, they need on a, on a click to be able to understand who's my customer, what does he use, how, what's the usage, um, what does our finance team know about them, what product did they buy, what add-on, what add-on they do they not exist anymore, did they buy in the past, what did we commit to them? And making this information accessible by a click is is tremendous gain of time for them. And so do you do that within Salesforce? We do all of it. Uh, we do 80% in Salesforce and the last 20% we do it with Tableau. Awesome. Yeah, that makes total sense. It, like if a CS agent has to spend 15 minutes trying to collate that data before they respond to a ticket or before their meeting, then that's time that you guys have just completely given back to them. That makes yeah, total sense. Exactly. Especially for new people who come in, right? And which is, which is key when you grow. Uh, at the beginning, you have a couple of people who know everything, but when 
when you start to add more headcounts, they they need the information ready and available. Can we dig a little bit more into the enablement work that is coming up? What are you focused on for in 2021? Um, in the continuous uh, improvement of the sales methodology, I think the next step for us is to roll out uh, a proper medic style methodology to the team. Uh, so that would be the number one task for for this enablement uh, role. Um, we need to be able to qualify in and qualify out in a standard way all across the board. So our focus is 100% on the opportunity we think we can win. And for that, um, we, we're still debating. Medic might be the, the, the right choice for us. Um, but we need a standard approach uh, beyond the process, but really on how the rep talk to the customer. So that, that would be number one. And number two is um, we're rolling out a new messaging, we're rolling out a new approach, um, some specialization, and all of that uh, needs to be transmitted to the sales. And we come at the time where we need a gatekeeper to um, be able to transmit the right information to the sales that they need at the moment and not in a day with a training for roadmap, a training for this, a training for that, a training for legal, and try to cadence it and spread it over time. Makes total sense. Alex, can you come in and dig a little bit deeper for us? Sure. Thanks, Tom. And thanks, Giles. That was really interesting. And um, one thing particularly um, stood out a number of times in in what you've been um, both trying to, to accomplish previously or have accomplished previously and trying to accomplish in the future, um, which is really the the difficulty of running you know, a business across multiple geographies and, and especially, I guess, languages. And so cultures and languages is the big um, issue there. And again, as, as businesses looking to scale, you know, that's definitely something they're even, they've already encountered and now or will encounter soon. Um, how have you, what, do you have any tips of what, what you've done in the past, what you're looking to do to try and help you know, keep that unity across, you know, those different cultures and languages. Yeah, so we operate uh, with people on the ground in Japan, Germany, UK, France, and Canada and the US. So we, we have a broad sense of uh, market target, right? Um, so uh, enablement is, is definitely the key to have people onboarded and enter your process as fast as possible, especially for remote people. Um, and, and it gets better now that we have more remote employee, but remote people might feel uh, a little bit alone, right? They, they're most likely sitting at home or in a very small office. So creating this sense of team and this uh, constant interaction with them in order to bring them in the company culture is absolutely key. So it's not only a sales topic and neither a sales ops topic, it's a company culture topic where you have to think of the remote people, the one that don't see colleagues at the coffee machine, and you have to try to bring them in as much as possible uh, in, in group conversation, in in being tanked internally and things like that. Thanks very much. And you talked about it in terms of the, the process. So that's, that's really helpful to see on, on the enablement side, but also in terms of when you're standardizing the, the sales process, how do you how do you make sure, as you said, that you know stage three is the same thing for everyone? Do you, what, what were your learns as you went through doing that? Um, what we learned is that we you have to roll out the same uh, 
qualification questions, right? And your SC team is also very key in there trying to guide because they get a different set of training on the product and what the product does and what the product doesn't. And so um, we double down on qualifications. So the first three stage of our sales process are all about understanding the customer, understanding what he needs, understanding what he wants, and understanding if we have a fair chance to, to fight, right? Um, and and we focused a lot on that. In order to not disturb our process, on the other hand, we standardize the price for this first three stage in the in, in Salesforce. So we wouldn't have some like uh, crazy number that come in because a new rep talks to this very large company. Um, and and there is a potential, but it's too early to to call a number. So a little trick. We put a standard number at the beginning and we let the rep change it on the last stages of the process. It's a really interesting tip and I've I've not heard that one before. So yeah, definitely um want to think about I like the idea but, uh, of forcing and, the and rep if to I wait. May, hmm. Yeah, and if, if I may, that also depends on your sales cycle, right? We run a B2B solution for medium to large organization. We to six to nine month sales cycle. Um, so we by no means transactional, right? Uh, we can we count the number of deals we do, and each deal can have a tremendous impact on on our AI and growth. So it's valuable in that context. If you run a more transactional deal, it might not be right because over a month your opportunity progress is very fast. Yeah, that's a helpful clarification. Yes, no, I, I've been reflecting on how you, you were trying to sort of manage the, the sales cycle using sort of the different forecast categories and really what you want to see and prioritize at each one. Um, and, and I hadn't really thought about it in terms of price, although it's come up multiple times that people say, you know, it's so hard at the start to know what the size is because you say you're talking to a massive company and they may, be on a, they may end up only getting you on for one office somewhere, you know, just as a trial. Um, the other piece I wondered if you thought about is close date. Um, because again, classically, at the beginning of the op- um, of the opportunity, the close date is is you know pretty close to a finger in the air. Have you thought of any yeah. ways, or do you have any ways to try and you know um, control the quality of that? Yeah. So uh, what we do is um, we look, and that you can do only if you have some historical data. And that's why to the first question, why did we start with the tech stack and the data? Because that's how we were able to analyze. Okay, what is our sales cycle? When we've done that, the next step we've done is to uh, analyze how much time in average or the median we spend in each stage. Stage one, stage two, each of them are 30 days, 40 days, 50 days, depends. And then for the open pipe, we compare each opportunity based on the size to a median number that we define being the ideal number for this opportunity in this size. And for that, we then put a uh, a simple calculation, and we put a, a red dot or green dot or yellow dot if they're in, in target or not. And that's how we calculate something, not calculate, but we try to express something that is very key, which is velocity. Number one, you understand if an opportunity moves, so you can look inside a stage. Uh, this opportunity is 60 days in stage three, meaning it's not moving, it should be 30 days. But on the other side, you can calculate an expected close date and compare that to the actual close date. So when you run it uh, three weeks from your quarter and you see the opportunity stage four, 
And you know for a fact that most of the opportunities need 60 days to get to the end because they still have to do legal, they still have to do security. You can adapt your closing date based on that. But that works only if you have good data and that if you if you if you're able to get historical data. No, thanks. I think yeah, that is, is super helpful. And the idea of you know, not you've not got the runway to close that that op- um, opportunity before your you know your quarter end is again super helpful because in, in my experience, slippage is the biggest cause of forecast inaccuracy, not and um, not lost deals. Always, it's always the the the, the number one thing in. And we want the rep to be positive, right? We don't want them to play what we would call the fridge and put it far away and then at the last minute bring it in. But you need to counterbalance the natural enthusiasm of sales rep with a, a more calculated way to look at your opportunity. Great. And then just um, two more questions. But one I wanted to, you mentioned a couple of times as well, continuous improvement um, or continuous either improvement or enablement, or but, but generally seeing that as a philosophy. I mean, it's all, all aiming towards improvement, whether it's improvement of your processes or, or the performance of the team. Um, how, how have you tried to sort of, you know, make that part of the, the culture? How, how have you sort of do to, to enable that? Because I'm sure that's something that everyone aspires to, but easier said than done. We by no means first in class, right? Uh, it's it's uh, we try and combat always against time, against other priorities. Um, the the number one thing uh, we try to do is to have one single place inside our company using also our product to display um, all the content at one place that the that the sales should know about, whether it's pricing, packaging, um, messaging. Uh, to put everything in one single place. The second is a classical uh, things we used to do before COVID, QBR or more like a year, um, quarterly or sometimes half a year, in-person sales meetings where we bring other parts of the company to do training, to do a conversation with the sales rep. That has been key. Obviously, COVID has changed that a little bit. So now we do more like one-hour session. Uh, and each week we have another topic. Last week uh, we did around workshop. Next week we're going to do about messaging. The following week we're going to do about product. And we try now to spread them out over time to not overload the people. But I think we'll come back when COVID passes a little bit. We'll come back to also in-person uh, events that help tremendously the sales team. Number one, it helps them know each other. And number two, it helps them really make bond with other parts of the company. Great, thanks. Um, and then finally, just wanted to essentially throw open the floor to you and see, you know, do you have um, either any thoughts on maybe the direction of RevOps or potentially something that you, you're thinking about at the moment that might not be, you know, commonplace, you know, could be a, a sort of a, a controversial view, anything like that that you, you would love to share with the audience? I, I think it's definitely a, a position that is... Uh, still very new, right? And still very, despite the couple of years behind, but it's still hard to find somebody who's has good tenure in in, in, the, in this small part of, uh, of the job market. So I think we'll see more innovation coming in. Uh, you have companies that are pushing extremely hard to propose. I have pleasurous number of tools that are proposed to me on a daily basis, right? To do approximately everything. Um, so it's an ever-changing market. I, I don't think we're at the end by no mean. And and it's going to change the, the, the work of sales 
by themselves, right? Uh, when you start to have intelligent conversation tracking, when you start to have uh, automated emailing to people, automated gifting, automated, a lot of things. I think over time, the job of the sales rep is going to change. I couldn't tell how, but I know it's going to change because RevOps is going to eat some of it over time. And, uh, and, and that's very exciting to be in this industry for that reason. Oh, great. Thanks very much, Charles. Um, Tom, do you want to come, come back and then just wrap us up? Yep. Charles, the most important question of the interview, who in the world of RevOps would you most like to take for lunch? I don't have a specific name in, in mind, uh, but I definitely have a couple of, uh, of companies that are, that are attracting my attention, right? Uh, I come from the B2B SaaS. So there's obviously this always a mystery about large organization, Google Cloud, Amazon Web Services, all these very large organizations and how they approach. Um, I think that definitely the, the part that I haven't seen personally yet, uh, when you at that scale, at size. Um, otherwise, I'm also very fascinated by more products that become big very fast. I'm thinking about Tableau. I'm thinking about Slack. Um, they're now part of Salesforce, so it's not exactly the same, but I would love to talk to these people early on and how they approach uh, all of that. Amazing. Joel, thank you for being so open and sharing pretty much everything you're working thank on. You guys. Um, it's, it's been incredibly enlightening. And I'm just quite glad that we had the opportunity, Alex, to bring such legends onto the show and for these legends to be so open about what they're doing. I think it's wonderful. Um, so, Joel, thank you so much for contributing. Yeah, you guys have a great podcast. Keep going. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.